then when I looked at the mechanisms of letting go, it's like, well, what do you do? You well, you just kind of let go, you know. It's like, well, all right, that's that's very helpful there. It's like I need a little more, dude. You know, uh, it's like but, the doctor going, "Hey, doctor, it hurts when I do this. We'll stop doing that." Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Michael Smalley. And once again, I am joined by the venerable Professor Chris DeGeet, who is the first professor outside of myself at the Gary T. Smalley School of Marriage and Family. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Hey, I'm glad to be here once again with you, Michael. I need you to explain to me what venerable means, though. It's not the typical word in my vocabulary, so... I assume it's something good. It's not. <laughs> okay. All it's right. definitely I don't know not. What it means, so we can just move on anyways then. Yeah, so if you don't know what it is, I'm just gonna keep that now venerable. It's like uh impressive. Ooh. Special. All right. I like that. Let's yes. move on then. I know. Just take the compliment, Chris. <laughs> Jeez. I am. I just didn't know that it was, bro. Come on, man. Hey, now you've ruined it. We had a moment. And you just zapped it. So we are doing episode two of this new series that I've already retitled. We started calling it released. But for me, it just makes a heck of a lot more sense to call it letting go in love. So this is episode two. In the first episode, we just talked about how letting go in love, the essence of is going, I need to drop most things about the people who are most important to me in my life. And I need to drop their problems and bugaboos and issues. And I really have no other option because we can't change people. And the more we try to be the Holy Spirit for them or we try to change them, it it makes it worse. Right? I don't know. Have you ever tried to change your wife, Chris? Um, yeah, but I haven't had a whole lot of success. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I haven't had any success at all with anybody doing that. I, I really hope she's watching. <laughs> Somebody's going to sleep on the couch tonight. Yeah, no, but we good. don't, right? Because whenever we try to change someone and go, hey, you have a problem, you need to get better at this, they tend to resist, get defensive, and then they'll start highlighting all of our junk. Yeah. You know, uh, funny you said that. You know, I just had a young couple in the counseling office here, and it's amazing how these younger couples think that, they are actually going to change their spouse. And boy, if that's what you think is going to happen, you're in for a rough ride. Yeah. Good luck. Cause it's not going to happen. And so the, the, the whole series, the, the reason that I'm doing this is letting go in love is one of those gigantic lessons I've personally had to learn in life that, you know, John Gottman's research says that, Probably roughly 70% of conflict that couples engage in is over perpetual problems. 
which means these are things that aren't going to change. They're probably not going to go away. And more than likely, you're never going to see eye to eye on them. And so drop them. Drop it. Move on. It's okay. You're different personality-wise, family of origin-wise, gender-wise. All these different things play into problems that we have. And so most issues that couples go round and round and round over need to be let go. But obviously, we need to let go and love. Yeah. So you know that what you just what you just quoted there a re- reference to Gottman um, about seventy percent plus of our problems are not solvable. We are now on episode two, which is the first step. If you are going to let go in love, which is the, you have no other option, and it's the greatest pathway to freedom from your spouses or child or anyone from their dysfunction against you, right? So people don't make us miserable. We choose to be miserable. We have control. And one of the ways to deal with a broken relationship or, well, I should say broken people is to be able to release them, to let them go and say, hey, I can't change you. It would be lovely if you could, but it's not my job. And so I'm going to let you go and let, God and the world deal with you. And if you change, great. If you don't, I'm okay. I mean, is that possible or am I talking insanity? I don't think you're talking insanity, but I think it's something that's kind of new to people to realize that, you know, we're, we do have the capacity and the ability to be able to do just that. And it's remarkable, man, because when you're able to do that, you're actually able to free another person to be who they are, but you also free yourself from the control that you resent that you often give them. Yeah. And, and that is where the freedom comes in. So you don't have to be trapped just because someone's not doing it right. Doesn't mean your life now is over, right? We're not victims. And a part of becoming an adult is recognizing that I choose my emotions. And people really, do you find with clients, Chris, that they resist the idea of I'm in control of what I'm feeling because I'm choosing to feel this way? Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, when you, when you tell them they actually do have some control over their emotions, they're kind of like, like, really? I thought these were just automatic things that popped up and maybe some are. Maybe we are hardwired in some respects, but there's a large part of, I think, of our emotional life where we actually do have control over them. And exercising control of them is 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 one of the key secrets that we have to learn. Instead of just reacting to an emotional um, input or, or a flood, you know, we can actually pause and choose how we respond. Feeling's a feeling. That's what it is, man. It's like, what do we do with that feeling? Makes all the difference in the world. And react. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, look, we're going to always have these initial things, right? That we're struggling through. We're, or no, somebody does something. And our initial emotion might not be overly under our control, right? Because we didn't see it coming. What we do from there. When we get triggered, 
what we do next is what we have control over. And that's why we don't have to get stuck in being miserable because somebody won't change. I can be okay. Right. Exactly. And I, what I, what I teach people is and encourage them is that when I have an emotional response, let's say somebody cuts me off in traffic. Okay. And you know, you can lay on a horn, you can drop F bombs or use sign language. It's like, that is just an ins- natural impulse that I might have, right? But do I have to react that way? Well, the answer is no. And one of the secrets is I'm sure you will probably go into here is allow yourself to feel the feeling. Acknowledge, okay, what that guy just did just really ticked me off. But, and here, here's where the God part comes in. I believe the Holy Spirit enables us and allows us to not react just to an impulse or to respond out of our sinful nature, but to say, no, I'm not going to react out of instinct and impulse. I'm going to choose to respond and I'm going to let it go. And it takes time. But over the years, you know, as I've applied that into my own life, I've really felt myself become free of some of these things that just used to irritate the snot out of me. Yeah, we do. Because it leads to freedom. And so in this first step, you kind of started sneaking into the second part of the first step. But, you know, I I, I just want everyone to be intentional with your life. So what do you need to release? Right? We need to ask ourselves, okay, what is it? Like one of the big things I had to release was uh, feeling or being validated by people. Right? My wife or my mom or, you know, whoever. That was a huge button for me when I felt invalidated and you might have to release someone from anger. You might have to release someone from an addiction, right? So maybe you're married to someone who's an alcoholic or they're, they're addicted to drugs or pornography. You might have to release a workaholic. You might have to release a micromanager. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that, that we get, that we get faced with that ultimately our best course of action will be to release. So what is it, right? What is it, you know, another way to say release would be, what do I need to quit? Like when I was, when I, I used to be morbidly obese, I think, yeah, you saw me in those days. I did. I, I think I was at your church and I hadn't addressed that issue yet in my life. Yeah, you came right after the surgery, but I did see your pictures and videos. Yeah. Wow. So right after surgery, I was there. So when I say quit, there was a point with my struggle with food addiction that I had tried diet after diet after diet after diet after diet and failed and failed and failed and failed. And I just kind of had this poignant moment of realizing I stink at eating healthy. I stink at doing this right. And so Lord, I'm out. I quit. This isn't working. This isn't, you know, this isn't going to do it for me. And so I'm out of here. And if anything good's going to happen, it's going to come from you. And, and then really it felt like God took over and just started, just brought me down this path where I eventually landed on freedom. And it was a, 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 avenue or a path I would not have thought of. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, so having weight loss surgery, 
I, I didn't even think I was a candidate because I donated a kidney to my dad and I checked on it like 10 years prior and the doctor was like, no, you donate a kidney, you can't do it. And then 10 years later, I hear from another one that they're like, no, that has nothing to do with your weight loss surgery. You can absolutely do it. And at that point I was at the heaviest in my life and, uh, and I did it and, and, you know, I really felt God led me down that road where I have had by far, you know, 135 pounds and it's stayed off now going close to three years, I think. Wow. That's and, incredible. And that's so awesome. what is it we need to identify? What am I trying to control? What am I trying to manage that is not my job? And I need to release that. So we first have to know what are we needing to release? And then, as you mentioned earlier, our next job in this process is we've got to identify our feelings, right? So remember, it's not being overweight that's the problem. It's not that your spouse works too many hours. It's not that this person, your parents never come and visit you, right? Those are all events and events can be anything and they're uncountable, right? I mean, there are so many different events that can happen. If we are triggered and we're having a negative reaction to it and it's causing harm or problems in our life, that tells us a button has been pushed, right? We've been mm -hmm. triggered. And so all our buttons are and triggers are feelings. It's I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling worthless. I'm feeling defective, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I have this VIP club, right? And one of the downloads I recently gave to the club members is a feelings wheel, right? And you can Google it, Google feelings wheel. And that is the very deepest we can go with ourselves and others is to talk about, I guess why I got upset yesterday is I felt rejected, right? I felt yeah. controlled. Yeah. Now that identifying your feelings is huge, Michael. Um, you know, I, I used to do a lot of, uh, techniques from, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where I dealt with people's thoughts and, and how they influence your emotions and everything. But, you know, the most powerful force in the room, at least when I'm dealing with people and couples, is their feelings. And they are so strong and they are so impactful. And how we deal with this, how we manage these feelings is gigantic in terms of the quality of our relationship. So you're so right on, man. We gotta understand our feelings. We gotta be able to identify them. And then we have to be able to manage them in ways that are healthy without stuffing them, without suppressing them or repressing them. Well, yeah, and you're leading quite professionally, Chris, into our very next point. Did you even know that? No. Yeah, you weren't even looking at the notes that I spent so much time on. But as we identify our feelings, because that's the actual issue, right? Yeah. Well, there's kind of commonly there's three main destructive ways that we handle feelings that do not help. It makes the situation worse. It makes your life worse. And, and the first one, when we start identifying our feelings, if we suppress right? Or if we repress the feelings, I have a quote here from a book by David Hawkins. The pressure of suppressed feelings is later felt as irritability, mood swings, tension in the muscles of the neck and back, headaches, cramps, 
menstrual disorders, colitis, indigestion, insomnia, hypertension, allergies, and a whole bunch of other somatic conditions. Like when you suppress that feeling, like I so don't want to feel rejected, I'm just going to say I'm not. Yeah. And the common lingo we use is we sweep it under the carpet, right? Yes. Or else we're just stuffers. We don't deal with it. So we sweep it under the carpet and eventually we're going to trip over it or we stuff it. And then stuffing so long leads to a volcanic explosion generally, right? Is that what you find? Yeah. That's what I find. Well, and think of all the consequences of suppressing our emotions, of being in denial of the real fuel to this fire. Right. We have this fire going on. And until you're able to bring that emotion up to the surface, you don't know what's fueling it. You might put it out from time to time, but the source has been left untouched and it will get worse and worse and worse. And the more you sweep under the rug, the bigger that lump in the middle of your living room is going to get under the rug. And pretty soon everybody can see the lump. (laughs) And everybody can trip over it too, right? Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. It is so critical to be able to, and what we're asking people to do is try to identify those things, right? That's why you have the feelings wheel. We need to help uh, increase our own sense of self-awareness. So, you know, we can be conscious of how we're being affected. And once we understand what's going on inside of us, then it can help us relate better to others, Michael. Yeah, it does. So one, the first destructive way of handling our feelings is through suppression or repression The second one would be expression. And you kind of hear that word and you think, well, wait a minute. I thought you were kind of telling us to express our emotions and to identify them. But that's not what we mean when we say expression. With expression, what we're doing is we're venting the feeling. We're verbalizing it. We're putting it out there. And we're showing it through body language. We're acting it out in endless group right demonstrations. We're we're releasing right that inner pressure of the feeling rejected or feeling like a failure or feeling controlled and we're kind of vomiting it out right and it tends to be negative yeah. right when when we're overly expressive with it and and we're not dealing with it i guess would be a big difference right we're not right. handling it we're just vomiting and spitting it and spewing it out every which way we possibly can what happens is we're actually giving that feeling more energy. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's, yeah. it's not going to lessen the hurt and the pain we feel from feeling rejected, controlled, like a failure, defective or worthless. We're actually adding fuel to the fire when we just vomit, vomit it out and people will express it with anger. Right. So rage or, hateful talk, you know, revenge, violence sometimes. Yeah, um, we just dump on people, man, you know. And, and what you're saying is there, there's healthy ways to express your feelings versus negative and destructive ways. And the negative and destructive ways are just everything that you listed, vomiting on people, dumping on people, just rage. And, um, you know, we do have the ability to control how we express ourselves. And we can do it in productive, healthy ways, or we can do it in dysfunctional and destructive ways. Well, and the obvious underlying fantasy, if if you're employing this destructive pattern or behavior, the fantasy 
is that we think we're going to eliminate this bad feeling or we're banishing it, we're killing it, right? We're destroying this thing. Uh, we're trying to hurt someone. We're frightening. We're, we, we think intimidation is going to give us back control. I know you're going to yeah. try to control me. Well, suck it and take this and blah. And we, we go on the attack. And yeah. the truth is the other person's likely response is going to be to avoid us. Yeah. Right. Or they're going to hate us in return. Right back. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to throw down a counterattack, which yeah. again, spirals all of this stuff even more out of control. Exactly. Exactly. You know, anger is oftentimes used as a weapon in relationships to where, you know, I've seen it on, on numerous occasions where the one spouse doesn't want to do anything to trigger the other spouse. So they walk around on eggshells. Well, what's happening is the explosive spouse's anger is a tool to manipulate and control the other spouse. So it's a very destructive emotion if it's not expressed, managed, or handled right. Well, and by the way, it's not always rage and screaming and yelling and throwing a fit. There's lesser right. forms of anger, right? Yeah. Like being critical or yeah. resenting the person, sulking. Mm -hmm. I, I'll tell you, I tend, if I'm not being healthy, then I really will struggle with these lesser forms of anger, right? Because I yeah. can sulk. Oh, stewing. Oh my gosh. I will stew and stew and ruminate and go over and over again. How unfair this is and how wrong it was and this, that, and the other. And then even just judging others negatively is one of those lesser forms of anger that we need to be aware of that again yeah. is, is destructive. It leads to disconnected relationships, which is, as you and I know, the thing we desire most in life is to be connected with others. And we right. can't, exactly. if we're relying on this way to deal with our emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just, you just mentioned uh, lesser destructive ways of expressing anger. It's also called like passive aggressive behavior, you know, where there's willful noncompliance. I just had a couple I spoke with where um, it was the husband's way of exerting control over the other spouse. She would ask for something to be done and he wouldn't do it. He would do it in his own time frame, whenever he felt like it, whenever he wanted. And, you know, it's, it's just, a, he's an angry person. And that was his way of expressing his anger in subtle ways, but it's still expressing anger, but doing it indirectly and kind of in a sneaky way, you know, to get his point across that, no, you're not going to control me. I'm going to control you. And it's very destructive in a relationship. Well, and I've been avoiding the third one. So we're, we've been kind of highlighting three really destructive ways to identify or handle our emotions, right? Suppression, yeah. expression, which is the outward, loud, uh, verbal uh, anger. Yeah. And it can take the shape of lesser anger forms. But the third one is where I struggle with the most. I'd be curious about you as well, is we will handle these negative emotions, right? Feeling rejected, controlled, like a failure, whatever, through escaping. Escape is, oh, that is definitely my go-to, right? It's the avoidance, 
right through yeah. a feeling. It's a escape when we when we try to escape our emotions. We're doing that through diversion, right? So now we're too involved. Right, exactly. Right, in work, kids, everything else but what we really need to be addressing. Addiction is one of the ways that we escape, right? I've done that with food was an escape mechanism. Alcohol has been an escape mechanism. Is escape one of the things, like, out of these three, Chris, I'd be curious, which one do you struggle with? Um. I think I can get overly involved. It's like I can be a workaholic and, you know, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. I don't, I'm not a gamer or anything. So, uh, but I can, I can stay really busy doing stuff when I want to. And it's, it's a form of disengaging. Um, so I, if I had to pick one, that would probably be my weakness. Yeah. That was a pretty weak weakness. That's like the healthiest weakness you could well, have. Hey, if I'm you tra- asked me 20 years ago, you'd get a totally different answer. Right I want to know. 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, 20 years ago, man, I was like, uh, I mean, I was into partying. I was into chasing women. Uh, you know, I was into sex. I was into all that stuff, man. And so God has really turned my life around and changed me for the better and just you know, over the years, you know, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And yeah. so in a lot of those areas that were out of control, I've regained some control. Now, am I, you know, obviously I'm not perfected yet, but God's working in me in a mighty way, just like he did with you, you know? And so um, we all have areas to where we uh, we can we can escape to, and uh, we got to be careful that they don't control us. Well, hey, here's a question for you. Yeah. We need, you know, last time we talked, we talked about self-care. Um, now, self-care is a good thing, right? Of and course. sometimes it's a way for us to disengage for healthy reasons, right, Michael? But when we're talking about escape in this context, it's it's not a healthy thing, right? It, it It's an unhealthy way that we deal with uh, painful emotions. Well, I have I another. Just, I just want to make that distinction. Yeah, no, that's a good distinction to make. And here's another quote. Everyone knows that when we let go, we immediately feel better, which is so true. When I finally addressed this issue of I have to be validated, then when I processed that with a therapist I was working with, uh, Stephen out of Colorado Springs, he, you know, it was that aha moment, right, where he was like, well, what if you took the need to be validated off the table with your wife or with your mother or with whoever, what if you just took it off the table? And I was like, are you insane? Like, uh, I mean, if you're going to be married to someone, you should expect to be validated or you should expect your parent. to. I mean, if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, they have to be able to validate you. And his comeback was, well, what if they don't? Or what if they can't? What if yeah. that's one of their bugaboos? What if mm-hmm. that's one of the things they struggle with and they yeah. stink at it? What now? And it was like, oh. And then he, you know, and I guess what I'm saying to everybody is, so is there any other way to get these deep felt needs met? Mm-hmm. And there is. Ourselves and our relationship with Christ. We can yeah. get everything we need right here right with ourselves, and we don't have to have everybody do it and i mean it was an immediate it felt like 
10,000 pounds were lifted yeah. off of my shoulders because I thought, oh, yeah. And that begins the process of landing and freedom. Yeah. No, great point, man. You know, that when you were talking, that Bible verse popped in my head where Paul says, and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I think all means all. So, you know, with you and Christ in your life, man, you can get a lot of your needs met. You know, if your spouse never tells you you're wonderful, you're special, you're cute, you're pretty, you know, you're the greatest and so on and so forth. That's nice when they do. And it's really wonderful when they do. But well, if they don't, you're still somebody who's uh, created in God's image and, in, uh, you know, and loved by him. And you do have worth and you do have value regardless of what you get from another human being. So you're, you're right on the number there, man. Yeah, we can't, you know, we can't make them do it either. And they just flat out might not be able to. And yeah. guess what? That's okay because I can do the work myself. You know, it's interesting. There's a, a real bodily physiological change that accompanies someone who really does let go and love, right? I mean, there are literal detectable improvements in skin color. Our breathing improves, our pulse improves, our blood pressure improves, the muscle tension, like I'm telling you, I literally felt it. The moment it hit, my shoulders kind of went from, oh, I need this tense and uptight to, oh, I don't. And I'll get it met and I'll be okay. Yeah. You know, and just the opposite is true too, Michael. When you don't let go, you have all these somatic disorders, mm -hmm. right? Associated with anxiety. You know, you, you do have the tenseness. You do have the high blood pressure problems. You do have all kinds of... Um, things that manifest themselves from the negative energy that's in you, right? They manifest themselves physically. All that negative energy goes somewhere, and it does affect us physiologically. It does. Our vision will improve the better we're able to release others and release things to let go. Um, yeah. It, you know, it increases our muscle power. I mean, it's like yeah. it's insane the benefits just physiologically, not to mention mentally, emotionally, spiritually, when we really let go, um, you know, stress results from the accumulated yeah. pressure of our repressed and suppressed feelings. That's yeah. where our stress is coming from. And the more that we are aware of our feelings, you know, allowing those feelings to come up, right? Staying with it, like, it's okay. I'm going to survive this. I'm feeling yeah. really controlled right now and I'll be okay, but I can feel that. I don't need to deny it or obviously do any of the three destructive things that we just discussed. Um, right. It will, yeah, it's really, it is. It's that first step to letting go is recognizing that, hey, I have feelings that matter. They're important. Yeah. Now, how am I going to handle them? And what you've learned today, everybody, if, if you've gotten distracted at all, is there's three ways you don't want to, right? Destructive, when we are suppressing them and avoiding them, if we're trying to escape or if we're using anger to vent, right, to spew our inner pain onto everybody, uh, we can't do that. But if we just acknowledge the feeling, 
allow ourselves to feel it, then we get to go to the next step, which is really, you know, I've got five, six things that we'll do in the next episode that help you release, and I'm calling it the Kraken, right? That's that mythical sea monster, right? Because we're all so afraid of this stuff. Like, <gasps> but if I release this person, then they're never going to change. Well, you can't change them anyways. And oddly enough, releasing them actually sets them up, gives them the best opportunity to change. And yeah. so once we've really identified what it is we need to release, then when it's time to release the Kraken, uh, we'll get in on the next episode, just a real practical step-by-step -step way to specifically release things or to release specific things. Yes. And, and you might have 10 of them. I don't know. You could have 20 of them. If you yeah. have 20 things you need to release, maybe that is part of the problem because <laughs> that's a lot, but, but. Well, just pick a couple, just focus on a couple, right? Michael, just pick your top two that consistently give you problems uh, in relationships and in your personal life and, and just focus on that one and apply some of these techniques and let's see how it works. I bet it will. That was really good. I'm proud of you. I don't know if you need to hear that from me. <laughs> I do. I need validated. Okay. Good. I was hoping you'd go there. <laughs> God, you're so needy. <laughs> hey, maybe what I'll we should have done. That. Maybe what yeah. we should have done is yeah. both come up with a list of the top, like 10 things that we need to release about each other. Oh, what if you asked your spouse that question? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. That would be terrifying. It's actually not. And it's one of the things that I've learned recently. I mean, that's an important, actually. I, I said that to be funny and obnoxious, but now I realize, actually, that is a good thing to be able to approach someone and go, hey, you know, what's what would be your number one complaint? Right. I had a lunch with my brother where I asked him that very question. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is a safe time. I promise there's nothing behind the question other than I'm trying to better understand myself. I'm trying to increase wow. my self-awareness. And this is, I think, the way I want to be able to do it. And well, I, it really I, was a good a exercise. Yeah, that's yeah. a real healthy thing. Um, but you, you said a couple key words there. You want to be in a safe place where you're able to do that and be able to receive that input. Yeah, don't do that with someone who is unsafe. My brother is very safe. He's very kind yeah. and engaging. And, you know, he's he's been that role. My, you know, he's five years older. So, yeah, definitely don't go to the person that you're, you know, having the most trouble with and be like, hey, so what are your biggest? Because you're not going to get out of that one alive. <laughs> it won't happen. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, thank you. You've done a, Hey, you've earned another episode. Oh, wow. I mean, this is amazing. I, I am know. just being validated I know. so much here. I mean, this is wonderful. Yeah. I got to be careful. I don't want to yeah. be too kind to you <laughs> to mislead you. All right. Don't. Yeah, it's right. Don't feed me anything that will be harmful to me. Okay. Just feed me good stuff, brother. All right, that's fair. <laughs>